Hey, what's up, guys? This is Shravan, and this is the first episode of the Zen and Alpha podcast. I have decided to name it that because those are the two things that I am actually interested about, and I am exploring as an overarching theme in the in my life right now. So, I thought it would be apt to name it that. And uh, in this episode, we are chatting with Mr. Prashant Krishna. he's a fund manager with over 18 years of experience in the markets and he has played various a diverse set of roles across the years from being part of a broker firm <clears throat> to being a fund manager to being a systematic trader to being a trading strategist and now he's managing funds of his own he's played diverse roles and he has learned a lot of stuff along the way and uh, in this episode he is sharing all those things with us and we also got a list of curated questions from twitter and he was gracious enough to answer those too and i gained a lot of value and you know a lot of insights actually that i can directly apply in my trading and investing process going forward from the conversation with him and i hope you do too let's get to the conversation now so what's the idea behind basically so uh what i wanted to do was uh, like uh, when i was checking out part, uh, podcast space in india um, i felt like there was a lack of uh, you know proper finance focused podcast uh, especially in terms of uh, people who are credible enough to you know give advice on uh, uh, how to build a portfolio how to take care of personal finances and all that so i was like hoping that i could do something with this space and uh, since i follow you on twitter uh, you know i I thought I I could ask you first. Sure, man. No, I mean I mean I uh, go for a lot of podcast in US kind of thing. Comparatively, comparatively, we don't have in India kind of yeah, thing. I mean, if correct. you look at podcast in India, you have America. We have basically nothing. Correct. I mean, yeah. Uh, so nice. Okay, so uh, uh, so we'll get started, right? Okay. Sure. So uh, okay, so uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you was uh, uh, tracing back to the beginning. Uh, what made you get into finance? so that's an interesting story kind of thing basically my neighbor was a he was in the stock market he was a stock broker for ibm in that sense okay so in 1992 i was still in i believe around 10th standard i was studying the 10th standard okay so 1992 when i was i mean i was there i could see i mean the i mean we are a middle class family kind of thing i mean our area was a very middle class layout kind of thing and i could see the progress he made in the just a year kind of thing that was the harsh mehta bull market mm. so i didn't know about much of the market but i knew that stock markets was a place where you could actually i mean from middle class jump up to a much much higher level in that sense i mean purely it was at that point of time i was had no knowledge about markets no knowledge about basically finance or anything but i knew that if i were, were to go into business which is what i wanted to do anyway i mean i never wanted to work for someone because some of i never been comfortable taking orders in that god yeah. so for god. me it was like if i am going to work why not work in a area where you can actually multiply your money big time kind of thing i mean honestly pure greed i mean <laughs> greed is good kind of thing in that sense correct so then i actually after graduation i met a friend who was working in the with a stock broker kind of thing okay. so i tagged around i tagged with him then i started working for the stock broker i've been consulting him basically on uh, basically what happened was in 96 onwards 
India started moving into computerization in terms of stock broking. Basically, mm. NSC came in. Before NSC came in, it was all outright system, wherein it mm. was own one-to-one basis. From '96, it all became automated kind of thing in the sense that you had a terminal where you punched in the orders kind of. So all the orders came in. Basically, you had a backend set up in the broker office to take in the what do you say daily uh, trade list and then compute the individual client or this one. So I used to do. Basically, kind of consultancy for the clay, I mean, uh, broker, because okay. I was also trading and investing full time. So for mm. me, it was like, oh, get some money and get some exposure. So in that sense, I, I mean, I worked there, worked with the broker for a few years. Then I realized that being a broker was good because that would, I mean, end of the day, the risk was seemingly lower. Kind to, to I mean, we are talking about the days when you could charge 2.5% brokerage. Mm. I mean, basically 2.5% on the value you are buying. So the amounts were good. I mean, the income was very good at that those times kind of thing. I mean, this is way before even Paypesa came in. Paypesa was the first actual broker who actually started going down the tube in terms of pricing the, uh, what do you say, brokerage. I mean, he came at 0.05. Okay. Earlier it was, I mean, intraday trading was 0.1, 0.2. It depended upon your ability to, how much volume you would come, how, how deeply connected you had with the broker kind of thing. So, I mean, I started my journey there. Then have been, a, I mean, ups and downs kind of thing. I became a broker myself. Then worked with a couple of firms. I mean, recently was a fund manager at Capital Mind. Right now, doing on my own kind of thing. Okay, that's interesting. So, ca- like, uh, can you elaborate a bit on the, you know, like, uh, when you were as a broker and uh, what kind of uh, work you were doing with respect to the brokerage? So, b- basically, my, I mean, Actually, I mean, when Zerodha came out with, what do you say, a, a traditional uh, discount brokerage, discount broking in 2010, most, a lot of brokers were actually doing discount broking way before. I know a broker who did discount broking in 2000. Okay. Basically, because we knew that, I mean, our cost structure was very well known. I mean, we had a cost, uh, exact cost structure. As a broker, I knew what cost I had to pay. And if, uh, I mean, if I could get a guy who wanted to, I mean, I mean, we are talking about an age when you had to pay what do you say? I had to place deposits for turnover. Forget the exposures. Mm-hmm. Exposure, even today you have to place a deposit. Those times we had to place a deposit for turnover, which means that the more the turnover you wanted to make, more the deposit the broker had to keep. So it was, I mean, there, there's a relationship kind of thing. So the clients, I mean, we, I mean, uh, we actually had a way to, what do you say? I mean, you could actually take a terminal saying that, okay, I'll pay you X amount of rupees per month, but I want to do X amount of turnover per day kind of thing because you are a speculator in that sense. So that was a great thing. I mean, some broker brokership was a, I mean, I mean, end of the day, every field has, what do you say, uh, the good guys and bad guys kind of thing. So there are, I mean, if you read about the stories, you hear more of the bad guys in that sense. I mean, you hear brokers who have stolen their money, I mean, cheated their clients kind of thing, but there are a lot of good brokers. I mean, I know a lot of friends who have tried to help their clients to the best of our abilities. I mean, our abilities were limited in that sense. I mean, Right now with the internet and everything, we have much more exposure. We have much more access to knowledge. Hmm. When you go back 20 years ago, there's no, I mean, uh, what do you say? I mean, if you are in Bombay, maybe, maybe if you're Bombay and their core club kind of thing, you had access to maybe value investing or security analysis by Graham kind of thing. Hmm. But outside in the small towns, you literally had zero exposure to how do you uh, value a company? How do you, why do you buy a company? You knew a bits and pieces in a way, but mm. nothing more kind of thing. So for us, it was a, a broking was more of a, well, I mean, what is today more of advisory level kind of thing where you advise clients on what to buy, how much, I mean, basically built, I mean, said, okay, this is a great stock. 
and then track the stock kind of thing to see if something happens calling back saying the boss i don't know this is happening maybe time to get out i mean it worked for for us both ways kind of thing i mean brokerage was the key for the uh, mover kind of thing but it actually was very good i mean it's a industry that is now actually shrunk kind of thing in terms of the number of brokers i mean in uh, 2000 we had around uh, 30 plus stock exchanges across india okay now we are basically down to two, two. i mean yeah. i mean right now two. after so one is the key i mean this is the key yeah way for one that pattern is nothing uh, not as big so things have changed radically kind of thing i mean the new way of doing business has changed radically the new way of uh, thinking has changed I mean, earlier it was all uh, much more what you say, idiosyncratic kind of thing. We didn't know what we are doing, but we hope we are doing the right kind of thing. Right now, we have the ability to what you say, analyze better. Do have it? I mean, the amount of data we have is much more better kind of thing. Earlier you didn't have the data, even if you wanted. Okay. Even if you wanted to do a TA in say in 2000, early 2000, the all you could have done is do hand. I mean. Basically, write down on the hand. I mean, I mean, you had Lotus one to play at that point of time. Okay. But it was very tough. Basically, it was not as easy as you could do today. Kind of thing with charts available for free. Which, mm. I mean, you were. Uh, I mean, ability to draw a. Or, 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 I mean, do whatever you want to do without actually having to pay any heavy cost in terms of both price or in terms of time. Correct. So uh, uh, after you were a broker, what made you shift towards a you know fund management kind of a thing with a capital so, mind? so basically look i mean first uh, say around 2008 i yeah. mean after after the crash yeah i mean it, the broking broking industry already was in the on its lost those kind of thing i mean the brokerage was coming i mean as i said 2000 was the key 2005 was a key which basically cut down the brokerage by half and then it was a downward i mean basically a downward shift everyone wanted to i mean how do you attract a client we say must i'll give you better than what he does so you go lower down the order and which actually takes a police because end of the day you are actually exposing more to your client in the hope that he and uh, i mean he won't run away after taking a big hit kind of thing correct so at post 2008 i mean lot of brokers took hits kind of thing i know people who took a large hit kind of thing so i myself took a hit in 2007 personally kind of thing in my own trading so what happened was that basically we felt i mean a lot of us felt that it was not worthwhile to continue broking as a sir i mean i mean your income had shrunk to a negligible extent unless you were willing to push the boundaries of what you felt was ethical kind of thing in terms of pushing a client to trade more than what he would really want to or asking him to churn more kind of thing so post 2008 actually i mean people also i mean zero dog got caught i mean basically came up with a, i mean brokerage was the key right right now if you look at mutual funds i mean two for you are paying 2.5% correct and you have an alternative that is 0.05% for special large cap funds you have simple i mean similar returns for a much lower fee mm. so for traders zero to made a lot of sense kind of thing i mean why do you want to trade with me when i can trade with the same i mean the prices are the same it's not like i'll get you a different prices but i'll i mean that my cost structure goes down dramatically kind of thing mm. so post 2008 for i mean i shifted into more of a systematic trading kind of thing Okay. I was working with Dr. Sikanalain in the middle kind of thing. I worked with him for 2012 to 2013, uh, developing trading, uh, I mean trading systems and everything. So I shifted to, a, I mean, I felt that uh, systematic approach was more. Uh, I mean, for my from my behavior point of view, it worked for me better because, I mean, we, I mean, my, I know, I understand my weakness kind of thing. I am unable to take calls. I mean, it's a, I mean, gut calls kind of thing. If you were to say Correct. taking, especially when it comes to taking a loss kind of thing, mm. I would rather have something that, rather have a system that will tell me, okay, now is the time to get out. 
then if I trust the system enough, I will take that system call rather than trying to second guess the system kind of thing. But if I were to take a call myself, I'll second guess, third guess, ask around, then I'll get to contrary answers kind of thing. I mean, you, it, it gets muddled up kind of thing. So I moved to somewhere around 2007, 8, I moved to systematic. And once I was in systematic, the question was, what next kind of thing? End of the day, trading in itself, you require a huge capital. Correct. I mean, I learned much, much later kind of thing, but it's a really capital intensive business kind of thing if you want to trade for a living kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, as long as the brokerage was coming in, yeah, you could trade something on the side. Your main income was brokerage, but everything worked out kind of thing. But as the brokerage started going down, the question was, what next? So for me, it was like, I mean, the only way is higher kind of thing in that sense. So fund managers, I mean, I felt that fund management was the key kind of thing. I mean, because how else you go? I mean, from point, I mean, basically, once you're a broker, you have, I mean, you have 10, 15 years of experience in stocks. It's no, I mean, there's no easy avenues kind of thing. To be honest, career avenues are very, very, I mean, you're right at a kind of a close to a top, top of the pyramid kind of thing. The number of avenues where you can go and have use your skill sets, what you have acquired over time, reduces dramatically kind of thing. So capital management is an opportunity kind of thing because it's a payment. We, uh, we applied for a PMS after I joined. We started, uh, I mean, we had a multi-cap portfolio. We had a momentum portfolio later on kind of thing. We had a multi uh, two other portfolios as well. So, I mean, building a portfolio for oneself, I mean, personally is my one thing and building a portfolio that can apply for say 100 clients is way different kind of thing. So it was a great learning experience in that sense. So uh, I had one question about the uh, portfolio building process. So when you uh, like when you have clients for capital mind or even in your personal experience, how do you go about uh, allocating assets or building a portfolio for that particular client? Do you ha actually tailor make for that client or uh, do you uh, have a, a specific set of uh, portfolio that is made for everyone? Basically, <clears throat> uh, basically tailor making is very difficult kind of thing. I mean, I can give a, make it a specific portfolio for you. The problem is in tracking. Okay. I mean, I can't track 100 plus portfolios because I mean, each, each portfolio is a different portfolio. Okay. There's no way I can keep in track with the corporate actions or the bonuses or the news that comes in. So what we have, what we used to do at Capital Mind, what I st still believe in is that basically, I mean, the idea is first get a, a fix on what kind of risk you are willing to take. So what okay. kind of, then use it as a delegation to say, okay, how much of that should be allocated where kind of thing. Okay. But it all becomes a, comes down from starting point of your risk taking ability what we understand of your requirements kind of thing because you may say i have a very high propensity for taking risk but um, you may not require that amount of risk to meet your goals the question is why take i mean we don't believe in we are taking unnecessary risk because you don't there's no need i mean there's no need to risk more than what is required to risk if you are able to meet your goal comfortably kind of thing correct so yeah. i think i mean i mean pride i mean People talk about, uh, what do you say, tailor-made. There's no point. I mean, no one does the tailor-made. Okay. It's all basically uh, structure. I mean, multiple portfolios. You build up multiple portfolios, then decide, okay, for this client, I mean, assume momentum, for example, is seen as a more riskier portfolio okay. than an index portfolio. I mean, give you a comparison. So if you are a low-risk guy, I would say have a core portfolio of index. Have a non-core portfolio of momentum, basically 70-30 or 60-40 or 80-20 breakdown kind of thing. Basically, idea is, okay, this core portfolio is much lower risk in my opinion or the long term. This may be higher risk, but your uh, volatility will not impact you big time. I mean, even if I have a big drawdown in your in my 
uh, momentum portfolio it will not impact big time because your core uh, portfolio is your uh, index portfolio connected ಅಲ್ಲೋಕೇಶನ್ your risk taking ability and secondly your my perception of what is required for me okay. to reach, reach your goals i mean 20 year down the line for your retirement or kids education kind of thing so based upon that i mean look the longer the goal period is the smaller you can afford to be in debt kind of thing you don't require a huge debt component if you are having a say 20 year goal your debt component maybe can be much smaller but if you are having a 5 year goal your debt component has to be higher kind of thing because i don't know how the market will move in the next 5 years the right. debt market actually has outperformed in the last 5 years the equity market so there's no point in having high equity and then that i mean the risk being i mean it actually exposes you to more risk than what is necessary i mean if i can meet the goal in the shorter time correct so uh, when a client comes in you basically assess their risk uh, taking capacity and based on their goals and then you decide on an asset allocation mix how much liquidity should be there how much should be allocate to i mean exposed to the markets and then you uh, get the portfolio into the client's yeah. uh, demand okay so you should uh, do that uh, and what just for clarification yeah just for clarify i'm not with capital mind right now yeah yeah i know i know so, yeah you are uh, doing yeah. on your own right uh, right now so uh, after yeah, capital right. mind exit you have uh, applied for a pms uh, license right ia uh, license no i mean, uh, I mean uh, basically i, I mean uh, Uh, PMS license now requires you to have six rows of uh, liquid capital kind of thing. Okay. Which is, uh, I mean, which is not a for me a, a tough reach kind of thing. I mean, impossible reach for as a at okay. a current juncture. And uh, I mean, one of the, I mean, one of the things I learned at PMS was that it's actually, I mean, the way we, I mean, the tax structure of India is done. It's tax inefficient for most clients kind of thing because when I book a profit for you, I'm basically you are basically paying a tax on it. Okay. I mean. i may show i mean i mean the taxation doesn't come out of my pocket I mean, basically out of the profits basically you are separately you have to pay the taxes kind of thing which doesn't happen in a mutual fund which means that i have to outperform the mutual funds by a bigger extent to just i mean basically get the same like post tax returns i mean because in mutual fund you are you can keep it for 10 years or 20 years and you pay zero tax for the whole 20 years and at end of the 20 years your taxation depends upon that times i mean what i mean at that point of time whether india is taxing long term india is not taxing long term we don't know correct here we are paying every year kind of thing basically you pay for short term you pay for long term so i think it's i mean i mean uh, aif for example now is taxed at 42% kind of thing approximately at the top level okay so i mean it's very i mean you have to generate that amount of alpha just to break even i mean compare to yourself to what do you say mutual fund simple index fund kind of thing so okay. it's becoming tough kind of thing so for me the top process was Okay, pro, I mean, provide. I mean, I had my initial idea was to go into financial planning. So, um, but uh, to start off, I want to start off with a pure portfolio approach, and then uh, start the planning process later, kind of thing. Uh, so, how has your approach changed after uh, you left uh, Capital Mind and now? Between uh, then and now, nothing. Honestly, nothing. I mean, look. I mean, the approach has been the same. Basically, I will, what do you say? Uh, Fine-tuned a bit of, especially post March, where I. 
got caught in terms of i mean the market went down i didn't actually aggressively chair i mean shoot myself don't worry don't the pedal kind of thing so okay. only post march actually i would realize that okay okay i, I mean bit of what is a changes have made to the my model but overall the strategy remains the same what applied in stick capital mine applies today i don't think the whole the broader logic doesn't change i mean it's only incremental small changes that you can afford to make because large changes is basically based upon current reads and data kind of thing which can be misleading i mean one month data or six or one year i mean for example if you look at last five years you may you may assume that Investing in equity is no, I mean, no point. I mean, you have a better uh, return for debt, and in debt you can time the market in terms of yield, even better. But that's a short. I mean, based upon a very short-term data kind of thing. I mean, India doesn't have long data in terms of. I mean, if you take NSE as the starting point, in Bombay has some seventy-nine, but that data is question questionable, very much questionable kind of thing. But yeah. if you take from eighty-six onwards. It's not great. I mean, yeah, it's good, but not great. I mean, in nineties. Uh, say around mid 90s you had a uh, triple a rated uh, what is that uh, financial companies offering you around 17 to 20% interest kind of thing so mm-hmm. that was a kind of high interest uh, i mean in a high interest scenario markets have also given but uh, it was also there it's not like uh, i mean markets gave you a very spectacular uh, higher rate than what the debt market would have commanded at that point of time kind of thing mm-hmm. so overall i think if you look at a long term i mean especially if you go to us markets where you have 100 price year years of history you see that there is really a huge difference between bond bond returns on the long term and equity returns kind of thing so the mm-hmm. equity returns are there i mean there is no point in changing the philosophy based upon i mean, I, i believe in looking at a short term every i mean there is always say at some point every strategy fails i mean basically underperforms basically no matter what you do you will have a long period of i mean your greatest quality stocks like hindustan liver didn't do anything for 10 years nestle didn't do anything for 8 years they, i mean they were not companies that died or the companies that were having a fair i mean uh, i mean what do you say balance sheet were getting uh, decremented kind of thing it just that market actually i mean uh, the p got derated kind of thing rather than derated what's happening right now kind of thing so yeah, i mean a quality strategy at the point of time would have underperformed basically a pure quality strategy that would have got in only immenses of a nature of industrial liver or nestle would have underperformed in those times now is outperforming so it's a phase i believe i mean but overall if your strategy can hold good for say 20 years 30 years i think it should be good for the next 10 years at least if not more uh, got it so uh, on this note uh, you were uh, talking about systematic trading right so yeah. part of what you do now is also systematic true uh, so when you devise a systematic trading strategy what all parameters do you look for like uh, for it to be eligible for you to trade basically the first question i mean first uh, what do you want to trade is has to be very liquid kind of thing especially for your trading i mean okay. because you are looking at liquidity has a i mean when you are developing a trading system when you are testing a trading system you assume guaranteed fills wherein you assume okay if i put in 10 lots of order i'll get that price basic price i mean whatever is ask and bid kind of thing mm. but if you are trading say cnx it futures it doesn't matter i mean it's still a future but you can't get 10 lots at a, at a price and a gap gap between what do you say your bid and ask is very high kind of thing yeah so right. for, i mean the primary thing is always look for highly liquid stocks i mean highly liquid i mean which is why you are a bank nifty or a nifty has nifty. the highest amount of volumes kind of thing because the liquidity i mean liquidity begets liquidity kind of thing i mean once it's liquid more people want to trade and which actually comes I mean, makes the liquidity even better kind of thing 
So for me, the I mean, primary of, uh, requirement is liquidity. Okay. And then is it trending? Is it trending enough for it to make a, I mean, develop a sustainable system on it? Because if you have a very low trending, very smooth moving, uh, what do you say, index, it, you don't have opportunities. The idea of, I mean, you have to have some amount of volatility, not too much that it's, I mean, uh, there's, I mean, it also translates into risk. It's a fine trade kind of thing, but some amount of volatility that provides you with opportunities to buy, both buy and sell. I mean, provide you with opportunity to trade in and out kind of thing. Okay. So, uh, so after... once you do that, yeah. So once you do that, then you, okay, you decide well, I mean, should I, what I'm doing, whether I'm doing a trend following system, whether I'm doing a mean reversion. I mean, your basic philosophy, I mean, it, it comes down to, to back to basic philosophy, whether what you believe in. If you believe in a mean reversion, so you're looking for opportunities to buy when it ex- goes through extremes kind of thing. Mm. When you're, if you're a trend follower, you're looking to just follow the trend and saying that, okay, how do I gauge the trend? I mean, should I use a moving average? Should I use a don't chain? I mean, in number of ways you can uh, gauge a trend kind of thing. So you use that, said, okay, and then test it out saying that, okay, historically, if I test the world, had applied this. So what would have been my net result kind of thing? I mean, finally, it all comes down to whether I can make, I mean, if I index uh, gives me gives me 100 uh, points, can I make around, I mean, my, my belief is that you can't actually, on a wrong line, beat the index by and hold returns, which is very tough without leverage. So finally, the whole play in the trading comes by leverage kind of thing. But to re- take leverage, you also have to understand what kind of drawdowns you have, because if you have a deep drawdown, then you are, I mean, if you have a 30% drawdown at three time leverage, you are basically out of the game. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what happens next because 90%, once you have lost 90% of capital, you don't have capital for enough for uh, margin payment, return mm-hmm. in the market, market kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you look at drawdowns, you look at what kind of risk it's taking kind of thing. Then, I mean, keep, I mean, basically the biggest risk in building trading systems is you tend to over optimize in the past kind of thing. You try to fill up every bad patch kind of thing saying that, okay, if I tweak this, would it work there? If I tweak that, if I work there, the best system in the past is the worst system of the future kind of thing, in my opinion. Got it. Uh, so when you, uh, so after you have decided that uh, a system, okay, this, this system is worthy of uh, trading. Uh, do you directly start trading it or do you test it out uh, live for a while? <clears throat> Paper trading, I'm, I'm not a believer in paper trading kind of thing because finally it's, look, when real money is there on the line, your behavior is very different from the behavior you'll have when it's all paper money. You'll have, okay, wait, okay, I, I'll take, I mean, I'll check out this bar and maybe next bar I'll take that trade kind of thing because it's finally paper money, you have nothing to lose. What's case basis, I am just noting down a bigger loss. What What's about? In, when you have real money, even if it's a small portion, I mean, it's not like you have to go to fold a full portion what you wanted to do. I mean, if you wanted to trade 10 lots, trade it to one lot. But I, I mean, my, my belief is always go with a real money because it's a psychological impact. You understand, I mean, it's finally, I mean, a trader understands himself kind of thing. That's the biggest need. You need to understand your weakness, your strengths, where you will fail. And how do you, I mean, as I said, my reason for moving to systematic was because I felt I will, I'll fail if I don't have a way to assess the signals kind of thing. I mean, if I don't have a systematic way of getting the signals, purely based upon reading the charts, for example, there are very good traders out there who can just look at a chart, get a trade kind of thing, but I'm not one of them. I don't have that. I mean, I may even get an entry. That's not a question. The point is when it comes to exit, especially loss, 
I'm not. I'm not sure whether I will take that loss. And if I don't take a loss, I mean, one bad trade. Example in March when it was starting to fall. If you said, well, let me see, let me wait it out. I mean, I don't. I mean, I've already had enough um, bad trades. I think the I mean, market will accept the bounce back. That is enough for wipe it out, wipe you out kind of thing. Correct. So, question for me was, I mean, which is why I mean, for a trader, behavior is very important in my opinion. I mean, you understanding yourself is the key. I mean, systems is all. Basically, your support system. Basically, it supports you in terms of what to do. But what, I mean, finally, because you are the guy who is executing, it's your money on the line. How will you behave is the key. So, uh, when it comes down to risk, what, uh, like, what kind of risk is acceptable, and when does a system become unacceptable? Like, let's say you have a system with a maximum drawdown of uh, twenty-five to thirty percent. Let's say, like as you said. So, if you take three times the leverage. uh you will be wiped out if the drawdown scenario happens so how do you decide how much leverage should you deploy the capital with so i mean you i mean you, it's very really tough to deploy i mean on a nifty for example so it's very really tough to have a very really low drawdown system kind of thing i mean it's basically you can i mean look it's a trade off everyone there is a trade off kind of thing the question okay. is what trade off you are willing to do <clears throat> so 30% i mean if you have the same position says you will be wiped out But thirty percent doesn't come in a single trade. It comes in a series of losing trades. trades. Basically, yeah. you are having I mean, trade after trade that goes on the loss kind of thing. So one of the ways I used to do was uh, use the win uh, win loss <coughs> position sizing methodology. Okay. So as you start losing, the idea is cut down your position size as well. So you I mean, if you are starting with ten. As you have encountered more and more losses, the system just tells you to cut down your strategy. I mean, position size to seven, six, four, three kind of thing, because it says that I mean the risk <clears throat> as a percentage of capital is now similar to what it was at when you are at ten, ten uh, lots kind of thing. So you put when when you cut down, you are actually allowing yourself more ability to look at I mean take a more hits kind of thing because rather than you are losing 100 points on 10 uh, 10 lots you are losing 100 points on two lots which is much more comfortable kind of thing because only after the, i mean look end of the day backtest is still a backtest kind of thing so i yeah. believe if you are backtesting showing around 20% drawdown you should accept up, i mean you should anticipate at least a 40% drawdown kind of thing that's the key for me so because once you are mentally prepared for that then you know how do you i mean if that happens what will be my state i mean you build up your whole from the capital positioning says how much leverage you will be wanting to take everything comes from day onwards not from the other side i mean of i mean more the leverage more the profit it seems but more the leverage actually you end up most more or less you will end up uh, basically destroying your capital whole capital in that sense okay so uh, on this note uh, so when you uh, lower your uh, exposure with each loss like say let's say you start with 10 lots and if you face a loss you come to 9 lots and then like uh, your losses stop at around five lots let's say and after that how do you like you, you make a profit on one Again, day i mean it's it's actually a pure i mean basically you can do, i mean uh, you can calculate the lanfrins uh, uh, kelly ratio basically on a laptop i mean excel kind of thing okay i mean all you have to input is your trade by trade details once you okay. do the trade by trade details you put in next next trade it will tell you what automatically what tell you how much to take for the next contract i mean basically next trade how much to take okay i mean it basically calculates based upon your historical run kind of thing it, okay. i mean it keeps recalculating the whole thing 
Okay. I mean, people don't use it because what happens is it keeps shuffling along, kind of thing. And Ralph is uh, one of the risk is that he it tries to maximize, which also means that it tries to ma- I mean take a maximum position. It tells you to take ten lots, twelve lots, kind of thing. The idea is to have some amount of thought process to say, okay, I'm not willing to go. I mean, once I have a leverage cut off, you know, okay, if we're saying twelve lots, that means I'm willing to take only six lots. I don't want to go around the leverage of X kind of thing because. Just because someone gives me leverage doesn't mean that I need to take that leverage kind of thing. Or the system tells me that to take it doesn't mean I have to take. So then you cut down for I mean in a similar ratio kind of thing. Okay. Uh, so uh, going forward, you you have this momentum strategy that you have right now, right? And uh, you're you're trading that currently. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what are the parameters like? Uh, what kind of instruments do <clears throat> you trade with that strategy? So I mean. One uh, small this one. Yeah. So everyone, when people talk about momentum, they think about in terms of trading. Some of value is seen as investing kind of thing. Even though both of us are looking at prices, both of I mean, it's a it's a pure factor. I mean, momentum investing is a pure factor. I mean, we are basically looking at it. I mean, basically buying stock based upon different reason. You, I mean, a value investor buy a stock because it thinks the business is valuable and the market is not recognizing that. Mm. We buy a stock because. I mean, the stock prices is moving higher and we feel that the trend is moving, I mean, going higher kind of thing. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, basically it's still like, invest- to me, trend following is investing strategy rather than a trading strategy. So my, I mean, my trend for, I mean, sorry, momentum strategy, momentum strategy, I mean, if you go by the academic evidence, they say, okay, go, uh, I mean, calculate the lost uh, one year return, subtract the lost month's return by the top 25, 30, whatever, I mean, your portfolio size kind of thing. Okay. But one of the things that, uh, I mean, in the Alpha Architect, uh, uh, he mentions, so Jack mentions kind of thing that the problem is that you have, uh, you get, a stock can be flat for 10 months and then spike up two months. Mm. You'll have same similar return as a stock that has gone up all the 12 months kind of thing. Which mm. one would you prefer if you usually look at that chart? You would say, I'll go with a smoother trend kind of thing. So one way to do that, what he calls as a frog in a pan theory kind of thing is applying a sharp ratio. I mean, sharp ratio is what returns divided by uh, volatility, subtraction of uh, risk free returns. Take the risk free returns out. We don't, I mean, we don't require that. Pure only, I mean, calculate the returns, calculate the volatility of the stock, divide it. So, I mean, if you have a stock that has a 50% return and 25% volatility, that gives you an output of two. And a stock that has a 50% return, 50% uh, volatility, that gives a one, which means that that's uh, formula was superior than this stock kind of thing. Do a cross section across all stocks, rank it up by the top 25 or top 30. Then next month, we, I mean, check it out whether it dropped below a certain level. I mean, because it's uh, what they say cross sectional. What happens is a stock keeps moving around kind of thing. I mean, your 30th rank may go to 32nd rank. You don't want to have too much of churn. So you say, okay, if it doesn't cross 40th rank or 50th rank, I'll still be happy to keep it because once it entered, I don't want to check it out for no reason other than the fact that it has dropped. I mean, it is still going good, but some guys are doing maybe slightly better kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But getting out, getting in, all has a cost. I mean, your slippages, which is invisible, okay. your transaction cost, your taxes kind of thing. So for me, the idea is use a sharp, use some filters so that I don't want stocks that are say below a 200 day moving average. I don't want stocks that are uh, having low liquidity. I don't want stocks that are trending downwards. Kind of, I mean, once you have a momentum, you don't actually buy trending. I mean, stocks that are trending downward. But what happens is, 
in a bear market your best stocks may be a bear, bear stock kind of thing so i try to remove eliminate all those stocks by using a bit of filters and then say okay these are my top 25 which i think are comfortable enough to bet basically you can bet on multiple ways but i bet on equated kind of thing i basically play same amount of amount uh, into each of the 25 stocks or 30 mm-hmm. stocks and then uh, wait it out kind of thing uh, so how do you decide when to exit so exit is best purely ranked i mean it has to drop in the ranks kind of thing as i said if it drops below 48 or 58 rank i'll take, take it out kind of thing or if there is a i mean what do you say a fraud happening or for example recently i took out of turn exit in divis lab i mean it has again gone back again but for me the question was that a cfo getting caught in i mean with hand in the biscuit jar uh, cookie jar kind of thing so for me it was a i mean is there only one cockroach kind of thing so i decided i'll cut down the position and rather, rather than wait it out and i mean the stock is still great the fundamentals are still great no questions about that but it caused me a friction kind of thing to make me question whether it's still worthwhile to continue in the trade kind of thing so i took a out of turn exit once the cfo is now gone on leave so i decided okay company has done something so i can go but unless that sort of thing happens the idea is i mean intra month try to minimize activity kind of thing i don't try to i mean be active every i mean i do it on a monthly scale i don't do it on a weekly because what i found was that yeah once in a week i mean like in march a weekly would have been way better than a monthly because right. the market bottom just dropped off kind of thing hmm. yeah but other than that those odd cases kind of thing more or less your weekly and monthly are similar kind of thing hmm. and more time you give i mean i'm having a bot for example in my one of my portfolio kind of thing it recently it took exit so it was there for a year basically one year it was there in the momentum for it so i want to give it a longer period of time i mean look stocks are also a bit volatile company i don't want to check them out every week and say was okay this stock is not doing so great let me check i mean end of the day there is no end to it so the idea is if i give them enough time and then still they are not a good great stock i'll check them out if it's okay doing okay kind of thing let them stay in and i mean let them show their performance because i mean i today for example rt industries has more than 20% kind of thing it has been one of the strongest movers mm. but it uh, when it came it was not a such a great mover kind of thing but uh, i mean my thought process is give it some time it will generally start working out in your favor kind of thing i mean uh, if you take the nifty alpha 50 index which is also momentum they do mm. it on quarterly so i mean the idea is not to go too long because momentum is a mean reverting i mean at a very long nature momentum is mean reverting correct but at a short term you have a substantial cost Mm. that inhibit i mean make it i mean yeah it, it looks attractive kind of thing in terms of backtest yeah. but for me backtest i understand how backtest are run what kind of they uh, i mean negatives uh, are in the backtest kind of thing so i want to minimize my actions in the market to a large extent kind of so i do a monthly stay okay so right now you are rebalancing monthly and uh, the nifty 50 alpha index thing that you you will be they daily balance on a quarterly basis quarterly yeah basis. Day, day so this day. also like uh, how how much uh, to rebalance and when to rebalance also you back test in your uh, uh, back test everything okay yeah i mean basically uh, tested out everything i tested out from say 2005 onwards the idea is that from 2005 you have seen multiple market drops market rises so then do a rolling analysis do a volatility i mean do i mean you have more the more the data you have the better your analysis would be in terms of understanding what weakness because if i have to stay for the next 5 years or 10 years in this strategy i need to understand the weakness the strategy has because when the weakness exposes itself i don't want to be cheating in my pants and saying boss i didn't know i mean what should i do now kind of thing so once i understand okay this is what i should expect 
I mean, in March, it was not outside of expectation. I could have done better, but it was not outside of the historical expectation. Historically, that showed that this for, I mean, if market drops 30%, I am going to go down 30%. The question was, mm -hmm. how do I, I mean, could I minimize it uh, better? Better. That was the secondary question. But as long as I know it's doing as I, I'd say, as it was to be expected kind of thing, I'm happy to stay with it kind of thing. Do you also track the beta of your portfolio and uh, uh, take it into parameter? Yeah, I mean, I don't take into consideration. I mean, I track the, uh, my, uh, uh, what do you say, P ratio of the total portfolio kind of thing to see okay. where, I am, where I am kind of thing. But overall, it's all basically to get an understanding of where the stock market is shifting. I mean, where the trends are shifting. For example, it has shifted to pharma for last three months. And in pharma, it's not a large cap format that I'm looking at. I mean, it's all small cap. I mean, even uh, RT Lux just mm -hmm. gone up three times in the last couple of years. Even today, it's around 4,000 crore company kind of thing. It's 4,500 or 5,000 approximately below 5,000 uh, market cap kind of thing. So it has actually, I mean, I'm just looking at understanding where the momentum is in the market. But that doesn't, uh, what do you say? I mean, I look at uh, across the market. I don't uh, stop myself at BAC 200 or BAC 500. And suppose only those 500 companies have trade. I'm okay with the universe of companies in NSC as long as they meet my other criteria, especially the liquidity criteria. Because as you go outside of the I mean, small cap stocks, you don't have liquidity. I don't want illiquid stocks, even though it may be a great stock kind of thing. Because getting in may be easy. Getting out is my question. I mean, I don't want to get caught in a situation where I have to every day at 9.15 start trying to place an order, hoping that boss, someone picks up my shares kind of thing. Mm. So in that sense, yeah, it's good. Uh, okay. So I have a list of questions that people asked on Twitter to ask you. Sure. And I have like uh, picked uh, seven or eight of them. So I'll uh, ask. No issue. Okay. So uh, first thing that uh, I found interesting, which I also wanted to ask was uh, recently gold has had a huge bull run and it's still increasing every day. And uh, people are speculating that a lot of uh, in, in a lot of countries, people are running to gold as a, you know, a safe measure of sorts. So uh, what is your opinion on and somebody has also posted that uh, uh, gold has posted better returns than the index in the last 20 years. Uh, have you tracked gold and so gold is seen as a hedge against inflation i mean that's the reason it's taken i mean i mean as as your fiat currency expands the top process of a gold or even bitcoin today is that boss you are uh, central banks can print unlimited but gold can't be mined unlimited at least we don't have that kind of thing or bitcoin can't be produced unlimited kind of thing but the problem is that again look it's a it's a commodity yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a commodity that has been used for say thousands of years as a exchange of money kind of thing. But still, still, still a commodity that yields you nothing kind of thing. It doesn't. I mean, India is the only country maybe where you can get two point five percent by buying the SGB uh, government bonds kind of thing. But overall, it doesn't yield you anything. So to me, it's like what I mean. You are producing no output. You are just purely speculating. I mean, it's basically speculating on the price of gold because if it's a hedge against inflation. You, I mean, the, I mean, India. I mean, I have seen enough studies to show. I mean, US doesn't have inflation. Not mm. for now. Not for last ten years, fifteen years. I mean, they're struggling with to, to get inflation. Okay. Yet gold is going up. I mean, if it's a hedge against inflation, it shouldn't have. Basically, what's happening is gold, like any other asset class, money is pouring in. The more the money pours in, the more it go, has gone up, kind of thing. But again, I, I mean, from the Indian uh, perspective, I think we have enough gold here. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. we have. I mean. I mean, we are not short of gold. So, do you want to hear add more gold, buying gold for what? I mean, again, it's, I mean, then you are basically selling that 
a company that produces something is not worthless then the company that, i mean does something a metal that does nothing kind of thing mm-hmm. i don't subscribe to that theory kind of thing yeah and having a 3% exposure or 5% exposure doesn't change you i mean it's not like stock tech article lux would do 100% mm-hmm. so it will give you a 10% i mean gold had not gone up for last 7 years i mean before this breakout it had been in negative territory from the last high for 7 years okay so if you take a 10 year then it's actually still underperforming kind of thing okay it's not about just about performance it's about i mean for me the question is key key is understanding the source of your performance because once you understand the source of why it should perform you can stay through the dark days kind of thing okay. i mean a value investor today has a dark day i mean in america he has a dark day because market is not recognizing i mean stocks growth stocks are going shooting up left right center while the value stocks are not going up a guy he understands that the power of the company has not decreased it's just that the market has changed its direction in terms of what to like mm. they are not liking value stock they are liking stocks that are going uh, i mean growing like crazy kind of thing yeah. giving them crazier valuations but you still understand the source of your return you understand that was finally my company is delivering 20% growth so my company has to i mean i the source of it i mean it's for me it's a key how do you where do you really where does your source of return comes that's your alpha edge kind of thing i mean for momentum for example the source of edge is behavior basically people are buying the stocks and moving up kind of thing so i am in there kind of so it's a similar thing for me kind of thing here as well so gold i think yeah i mean especially for, as from as an indian speaking as indian i am like we are i mean gold as an ornament i am i will never say no because at least it's enjoyable i mean you buy something as an ornament you wear it you enjoy it kind of thing it's like buying iphone and enjoying that process but as an investment i don't see a huge need kind of thing do i no right now literally every major asset manager is now becoming a gold bull kind of thing Correct. because the fed has expanded the balance sheet so much mm. uh, so the one other question that uh, uh, that was asked was like you said you had mentioned once on twitter that you gave up trading uh, you used to trade intraday yeah. or something yeah i used to trade uh, i mean basically uh, stop and reverse strategy on nifty okay so i have, I have traded that more or less from 2005 onwards to 2017 till i joined capital mine i had was trading kind of thing okay two things happened so i mean capital mine is a full time job really i i mean i wanted i wanted to shift gears honestly i wanted to shift gears so that's why that's why i actually joined deepak in that sense okay secondly trading i, I mean it came as i said i came late in the day i realized that my capital was not enough to make okay. a living out of it i mean the idea if the whole idea was can i make a living out of it it was not possible you require really require a large capital because it's a full time op- i mean occupancy i mean Correct. you start to wake up at 9:15 you are in print out at terminally and after that as well you try analyze you try to see whether you can do work, work it out kind of thing for all that work it has to pay well and i mean it's not like a monthly salary system where you need to come down i mean monthly you will get a salary kind of thing so the capital requirement i calculated was much much higher than what i i mean i mean when you talk about trading capital you are basically talking about the capital that you are willing to lose and i don't have that kind of capital that i'm willing to risk basically because i mean it would be all my capital and more kind of thing okay. so i decided and finally it's okay here is my question you and the best traders they say okay my target is 18 to 24% that is what most of the traders uh, try to anticipate it's not like they would um, multiply money 100% i mean maybe once in a one, one year they will do but long term they will be very happy to do it 18 24% kind of thing i think it's achievable without leverage on stocks kind of thing with okay. better strategies so i mean if you can have I mean, spend your time better why not rather than uh, 
being in front. I mean, it's it's a strenuous job kind of thing. I mean, you are mentally occupied for the whole day. By the evening, actually, I've seen myself. I've seen my friends. We tire out. Basically, it's mental tires out mentally kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's not. I mean, it doesn't add value to me. It didn't add value in the sense of learning anything new. It was day in day out the same thing kind of thing. So that was one of the reasons to just uh, say, okay, boss. I mean, done enough. Been there long enough to know that it doesn't work out for me. Okay. So check it out kind of thing. So, uh, do you actually uh, read annual reports of companies uh, that you are having in your portfolio? Uh, I do. I mean, just for the sake of uh, understanding some companies, kind of thing. I mean, some sometimes what happens is a company pops up in your momentum, hmm. great momentum, but you have never heard of the company. Okay. So that I mean, I look at annual report not to. I mean, I don't look for the balance sheets because end of the day, balance sheets analysis is a very different ball game altogether. Okay. But I still want to understand whether the company is there. I mean, what kind of company? I mean, I'm looking at three factors kind of thing: management, kind of what's the management uh, this one. I'm looking at cash flows to see whether they have a positive cash flow, free cash flow kind of thing, or what kind of capex they have having to and give cash flow. I mean, basically, I look at the top points to just you get a. I mean, I still go around the momentum, okay. but this gives me a more confidence that okay, I'm not. I mean, I'm not making a mistake of going into a company that is. Uh, I need to keep an eye on every day or every week kind of thing because. It's just a pump and dump that's going on. Mm. I mean, your pump and dump looks like a can look like a great momentum. The stock Correct. is going up, going up, going up very smoothly with low momentum, yeah. and then suddenly one day you have no option, no way to exit itself. So I, I to avoid that, I try to just look at uh, on a brief, not a very deep. I mean, deeply I don't have the aptitude, nor do I have the what do you say understanding. I mean, balance sheet. I have friends who do deep dives into balance sheet kind of thing. I've seen what they do. I don't have that capability. Okay. Uh, so uh, one more thing that the uh, uh, Twitter comments had asked was uh, uh, somebody had mentioned uh, stock-based SIP versus uh, SIP in uh, index funds versus mutual yeah. funds. So uh, stock-based SIP is similar to like uh, when you enter your positions, do you sort of pyramid your positions or do you buy all at one go? I buy it all at one go. Basically. I mean, I have a capital. I commit the capital. Okay. Now the question is, what if new capital? I have additional capital. I mean, I take a SIP. I mean, my, my, I get my monthly salary. So what should I do? So generally, I add it in terms of. Uh, I mean, if I have my average value of my portfolio, each stock is one more. I mean, one lakh, and uh, there will be some stock that are above one lakh. There will be some stock below one lakh kind of thing. I like to fill up the below one lakh to come up to the one lakh to the average level kind of thing without selling the. Guys that have done better kind of thing. Okay. So, but again, that's because these are still in play. I mean, the trades are still in play. As long as they play, I'm willing to add more money. But the uh, way people do SIP in stocks is just they keep buying, even though the play, play may be extinguished kind of thing. I mean, okay. if you are buying, say, a company which has gone to a, I mean, Tata Motors, for example, and it has seen a steady decline in everything from mm. trend to fundamentals, everything. So should you keep buying the same stock just because you're buying? I mean, SIP in stocks, I don't think it works as. I mean, SIP is a way to invest money. Correct. I mean, it's a simple behavior. The idea is that without your, uh, I mean, savings is becomes automated kind of thing. I mean, the whole idea of SIP is to automate the savings. But automatic savings in a, when you are doing it with an index or even a mutual fund, someone is there to take care of ensuring that they don't buy the wrong stock at the wrong prices kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you are doing yourself on stocks. You may end up buying the wrong stock in the wrong place just because you are automating the investing process. I mean, you may still think it's a long-term great play, but at that point of time, does it uh, merit 
your more investment than what you have already invested kind of thing okay that's a key question i mean for me even better than ship there is a concept called value averaging so okay. that's actually i mean that uh, basically asks you to invest when the odds are slightly favorable to you then just blindly invest every month kind of thing Correct. i mean there's a book called value averaging itself okay so that's a great i mean i think it's a great way of looking at uh, investing systematically without investing blindly kind of so even if you do an sap on index or mutual funds uh, so you uh, you you would be essentially investing when the market is falling or when the when there is a pullback or something uh, no not essentially because actually i have tested that out i mean okay. if you buy only when the market falls what okay. what's the or if you do only ship without uh, like uh, looking at what's okay. the better way while the top losses seems like if you buy on the dips it's better hmm. it's actually better to just um, ship it monthly because the opportunity i mean your market is trending more on the bullish side than on the bearish side i mean yeah. other than march you hadn't had a 30% drop in years together kind of thing if you are waiting for a big drop to put in money hmm. you would miss much of the what do you say trend. i mean the basically market at the whole trend you have missed out one yeah. secondly even the 30% drop was available for three days basically i mean three or four days at two yeah. days basically i mean long yeah. bottom was two days would you have been I mean, it's all nice in hindsight to think that I would have gone and put a whole amount of bunch of money there, kind of thing. But the bloody whole world was uh, closed. Mm. It's not easy to, I mean, psychologically move from zero equity or low equity to a high equity at one juncture because the market is foreign, kind of thing. Correct. So what happens is people, I mean, and I, I mean, it's much better to just, I mean, if you want to, value averaging doesn't look at drawdowns. I mean, I mean, it looks at drawdowns in a different way, kind of thing. But if you are not willing to do that. it's better to buy it regularly kind of thing which is actually the most simplest way i mean it is not to complicate things beyond necessity kind of thing so uh, one other question that they asked was uh, uh, between index and index and actively managed funds which one do you think uh, is a better thing to uh, hold on uh, when when an average investor comes into the market like for example let's multi-cap say uh, funds. multi cap funds uh so because look i mean you are basically a large cap fund has is restricted to 100 stocks correct doesn't matter whether there is a great stock at the next player he may or may not buy it kind of thing a mid cap is i mean everyone is restricted in their brackets kind of thing they have to do that i mean at least the majority have have a portfolio has to be there multi cap you are giving the fund manager i mean once you believe that fund manager why not trust him to say okay what i mean let him take a call on whether right now the market should i mean i should my money should go into large caps which is much safer or my money should go into small caps when there is opportunity i mean even today we speak about small caps is the opportunity but let the, i mean my belief is that let the me deciding let the fund manager decide let him take the decision i will just give the fund i mean all i have to do for me the single point process is do i trust the fund manager enough i mean that's a key question okay. do i trust him do i trust his process if i can do both of them then i mean multi cap gives him the widest available opportunity to whatever i mean by look end of the day finally what i am looking at i am looking at my returns okay. doesn't matter whether the returns come from large cap stocks or small cap stocks as long okay. as my returns are i mean i want the best returns kind of thing so, so for uh, me multi cap is the best uh, so when you evaluate multi cap funds like there are over 30 uh, fund houses in india and um, Uh, other than like uh, you say fund manager you are uh, is a key, a key component that you look at other than fund manager how do you evaluate the funds that you arrive at as a shortlist and uh, you know to decide to invest so 
so basically i mean one is fund manager one is the fund manager's process kind of thing basically i mean for example am i looking at value why am i looking at growth i mean each fund has a different philosophy for me the key, yeah. key is the philosophy because once i i mean i understand the philosophy so it's easier for me to understand okay so is there this philosophy is something that appeals to me next step is is he actually doing the same i mean it's all nice to say i'm a value fund manager and then go and buy a gsc amc because that stock is going up big time kind of thing basically he i mean there's this term called uh, uh i mean you sway kind of thing basically you sway against the philosophy kind of thing mm-hmm. how much you sway against i mean if you are a, i mean there in earlier times there was the infrastructure uh, mutual fund which had hcbc bank as the biggest uh, portfolio stock why mm. because that's the biggest stock that is going up i mean the best stock that is doing but that's not i mean that doesn't give you ex- uh, exposure to infrastructure which is what you wanted in the first place Correct. so similarly in my opinion when i look at uh, multi cap funds i look at fund manager fund philosophy and how i mean whether he is actually doing the, i mean whether he is able to uh, what do you say go according to his uh, philosophy. philosophy kind of thing. yeah basically we are having a growth then i i look at the portfolio and say okay is all these stocks that i mean there may be expensive stocks but there is still growth stock they are still delivering to a 20% 30% growth year on year kind of thing so i know okay i may be paying a bit more because right now the market is itself has become expensive across the board but he has stuck to the philosophy he has not said okay market has become expensive i'll do one thing i'll go and try to buy some value stocks i'll buy a tata motors or a disco because they have become too cheap kind of thing it may work out but for me it doesn't gel because then you are uh, diverging from your strategy kind of thing then i don't know what you do next if it works out yeah it's all it's all good if it doesn't work out it's my money on the line so do you take uh, past returns also into account when you are considering mutual funds i mean we are key right i mean at some point of time returns i mean finally it doesn't matter i mean it's like there's a saying that uh, i mean uh, just because it's a golden needle you won't go in uh, uh, i mean punchol uh, icu icu with a golden needle kind of thing so similarly Finally, returns are the key. I mean, returns are the major element. But how the returns are arrived? To me, that also makes a, I mean, requirement because at, uh, I mean, for me, I mean, it's like the Buffett punch card kind of thing, to twenty card punch point card kind of thing. Ideas mutual funds. It stocks I don't do. I mean, I'm taught, uh, I can in a month change out twenty stocks. Forget about for lifetime. But with mutual funds, I want to stay with them for a long time. So the only way is if I really understand the process and if I think they'll. stick to their what their core domain expertise is and continue it i mean it means that you will still see periods of underperformance you at those periods of underperformance you understand that okay why is it underperforming because the market has shifted then you it's a call for you to take whether the market has shifted permanently or is it a temporary wherein it will again swing back to the upper level when this fund will deliver kind of thing because every fund will have a period of underperformance If you keep jumping out when underperformance, you will never be able to uh, achieve the long-term return of that fund itself. Better on the better fund. Correct. So, uh, like uh, in in your research, what has been the like top three fund houses where you have seen consistency with philosophy and also like uh, uh, decent fund management uh, services? Uh, first will be Parag Parik. I mean, basically now, I mean, I like them because they have been two reasons. One. They have stuck to their philosophy. Second, they have stuck to one multi-cap fund. They have said, I mean, they have not. Uh, I mean, what do you say? Have say given a boutique of funds and said, "Was okay. If you want small cap, I'll give you. If you want large cap, I'll give you. If you want, uh, I mean, 
the more choices you have i mean you i mean i'm like to just tell you whatever you need not i mm. what uh, i really believe in kind of thing mira has been good i mean uh, mira has been really exceptional performance kind of thing and exceptionally well managed in that sense okay other than that i used to like quantum but uh, somehow after they bought s bank i was i'm i'm still having my own doubts on whether because for a s bank to come into a value portfolio who talks about esg philosophy and everything that made no sense to me okay. but overall my thought process is i mean these three are better i mean one of the better managed funds kind of thing okay. i mean today they have hdc bank which is again yeah i don't know whether it's a value stock or a growth stock either way they have no exposure to hdc bank correct so like uh, in, in the recent uh, the the sale that happened hdfc stop promoters and the top insider selling hdfc completely and uh, leaving what do you think is the you know like uh, future of the bank not not just based on the sale the but just been, generally i mean bank has been real what what 30 years now yeah i mean bank is there for 30 years i mean look when you have a company that is there for 30 years it's generally not based on one person yeah that person i mean the person may look like the guy who actually knew new everything that everything but it's always a team effort i mean it's always a large second team that actually is able, i mean it's like a politician can give you order but finally the execution falls upon the uh, bureaucracy i mean the right. guy who is uh, the district or magistrate he actually implements it the implementer is the key so there i mean i'm very comfortable in that i mean look he sold uh, whatever his esops work Hmm. but these stocks are not free i mean end of the day he has had to pay large amount of money to acquire right. those stocks over yeah. time kind of thing they have a tax there is a taxation there involved kind of thing and he is 70 years which means that he is not looking at for himself he is looking at using that money putting up into for his next or next second or third generation i mean because this is this is not something that the next generation may actually be able to earn correct he was in the right place right time he i mean how many i mean how many ceos or how many managers you can talk about who have a 7000 crore portfolio you don't have yeah. so in that sense he is just i mean single stock exposure even i mean it's a very very concentrated investment it may be a great stock but i mean why do you want to i mean once you are out of it why do you want to have that as a i mean it's like uh, i'll give you another example yes bank hmm. rana kapoor had a fight with uh, the partner's wife hmm. the I, sorry don't remember her name by the madhuri i think or it is Anyway, the partner's wife, she had an equal stake. So when the trend tide went up, she be, she became a very rich person. When the tide went down, she has actually I mean she sold it recently. I mean whatever she could sell at seventy bucks kind of thing. A stock mm-hmm. that I got reached out to I mean much much higher heights. Yeah. So I mean it's like uh, tying yourself to a boat when you don't have control. So why do I mean at I mean small amounts? Yeah, I can. I mean when I when we buy a stock. we are buying for uh, say 3% 5% of our network we know what's case basis we may lose that 5% kind of thing but if you are taking your network of 95% to a company that you don't know where will they will go tomorrow if they do something i mean why do you, i mean no one wants to take that kind of risk Correct. but uh, i don't think the risk will come hmm. but it's a once in a lifetime once in a generation kind of earnings Correct. why do you want to put that risk because it can sustain for him for this uh, i mean ventures of his kids grandkids great grandkids i mean you can yeah. go on forever with that kind of money if you have handled correctly kind of thing and i i mean i don't think there's a negative i mean you should take it as a negative connotation that just because you have sold there's something wrong with the bank i think the bank i mean unless but uh, the, the, unless it's one of the sorry unless it's the greatest fraud ever pulled off i think i think it's a great stock great company 
I mean, they have done. I mean, they have achieved uh, market ca- market share in a way that is clearly visible kind of thing. Correct. It's not like it's uh, something out of nowhere. I mean, it's like I mean, Wakangi at one point of time was the value fifty thousand crores yeah. the market cap. Because they said they have Wakangi Kendras across India. No one knew. I mean, very few actually has higher Wakangi Kendra. Mm. HSC Bank is not like that. You see, I mean, every big corporate has a account at HSC Bank. The salary accounts are at HSC Bank. So the visibility is there. It's not like they are having a con put off that he is selling off because tomorrow if he gets caught, he will lose everything. But at the end of the day, the his uh, reasoning is different from what the market is perceiving to be. But uh, the other promoters f- from within HDFC have also sold right recently, along with Aditya. So, look, sir. I mean, look, and end of the day, you have a, you are a CEO, you have your own team. Okay. So once you once the CEO changes and a new guy comes in, he wants to build his own team, which means that the other guys are we have to. I mean, it's idle. You, I mean, it's very tough when you're uh, I mean at a very senior level to accept a new boss kind of thing Correct. who may be actually in line with you. So mm-hmm. what happens? Everyone wants to okay. Even if he is quitting, for me it's the time to start checking out other op- options available kind of thing. Okay. I mean, cognizant had a huge churn recently. Mm. Cognizant had a churn. Everyone has moved on to become CEOs of other firms. It seems. Mm. So similarly, people generally, I mean, want to, I mean, the, especially the senior teams generally want to move on. So especially when the, there's a change in the leadership because they are answering to the leadership. They are not answering to the anyone else. They are saying that okay, this guy, I like this guy. I'm working for this guy. And I'm senior enough to not need to answer, go out and answer. I mean, I've achieved enough in my life that I don't know what he's saying. And so, like guy who may be a bit of junior, I feel perceived as a more junior guy kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, going forward, like uh, another question I got was, uh, how much capital uh, does someone have to start with to, you know, like uh, like from two points of view. One is for retirement planning. Uh, in the market, uh, you allocate asset based on the risk, and uh, you know you look at retiring with a good amount of corpus. And another is from a making a full living out of this. So, how do you decide uh, what amount of capital you need, and what is the ideal amount, as uh, in your opinion? I mean, there's no actual fixed answer kind of thing. How much you need is dependent upon multiple factors. For okay. example, if you are in a I mean, in India, for example, I mean, a lot of our models have been borrowed from US. Wherein it's basically after you are, uh, by the time you are 60, your kids have kicked you out or you have kicked out your kids. So there's no one to support you and you have to be on your own kind of thing. Here, it's not the case, at least right now, but majority of the people kind of thing. So your expenses is dependent upon, I mean, for example, if you have your own home, that means that the biggest expense is taken care of, which is the rental that is a continuous expense. Hmm. And the fact that you may actually, I mean, as you grow older, you don't want to keep shifting homes because you're land, you don't like the landlord or something. Mm. Secondly, your requirement is, I mean, the biggest second requirement is medical. Mm. I mean, if you, I mean, because as you grow older, the properties high, go, get higher on medical uh, expenses. So how you take care of that? I mean, whether you have a medical insurance or that, so I mean, you ensure that you don't have a, I mean, because that can cause, cause a huge dip in your savings kind of thing. If it mm. hits, I mean, if you have an open heart surgery or, I mean, I mean, now nowadays they're finding more and more expensive ways to treat you, but yeah. that also means that you can end up, to, I mean, dead in terms of finance, but alive in terms of living kind of thing. And then it comes to your general expenses. I mean, I mean, right now, for example, you may be, I mean, when in, when you are working, you have a multitude of expenses that don't come into play when you're retired kind of thing. Basically, yeah. unless 
you are really working against starting wanting to work which in in, in, in uh, i mean which means that you have another source of income if you are working okay. but if you are not working you are actually expenses are majorly your uh, uh, what do you say rent and food health yeah. food and then maybe travel yeah. i mean you want to travel internationally so there is a so you i mean it's a kind of what do you say structured way of okay asking okay i mean then you have your kids i mean do you want i mean you have kids you have to how much do, you, do kids need in terms of continuing their education because if the kids have not been at the time of your retirement they are not yet finished their education so how much they would need and then to, i mean because we are indians so marriage is a key component kind of thing so we have a, how much and i mean enough for marriage kind of thing so idea is to have each category and then work it backwards to say okay how much you need to say to reach their kind of thing assuming a i mean equity mix of say at least in the beginning if you have long enough time frame 80 to 20 or 70 30 okay. and then uh, decreasing as you grow older kind of thing so that you have more i mean debt and less equity but again it all depends i mean this i mean right now i can easy to play around with excelling you and exact to the decimal point number kind of thing the the reality is that we don't know 20 years from now what the debt market will be yielding yeah. i mean a guy who had uh, in the us 20 years ago or 30 years ago the yield yields were much much higher Yeah. Then what it is today? If you had planned based upon the assumption that the yields of debt will be eight percent, and he is now looking at zero percent, that changes a lot. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a kind of a you have to take it by the year. Hope that okay, where, where am I with the overall situation? Where am I better than what I should be? I mean, I try to I mean, I just try to keep it conservative. Wherein I worst case basis, I have more money than I can spend. Mm-hmm. Rather than uh, wherein you are touch and go situation, wherein you are. just having enough money that uh, if i make a, i mean if market cracks or i mean something happens it can change my living uh, a lot kind of thing i mean right now actually what what's also been thought of is if you have your own home you have additional income in terms of basically reverse mortgaging and saying was okay i mean banks take that kind of thing but again it's not a thing that is sentimentally attracting to indians kind of thing because no one wants i mean no one wants to live i mean everyone buys a home not just for themselves but also for the kids kind of thing it's changing but not in the i mean it's changing in a very very small percentage of population that is more exposed to the world more exposed to the i mean uh, basically with kids uh, studying in us studying in us kind of thing but more or less if you take majority of the working class population they are like i mean i've spent all my life building this so this is for my kids or my grandkids kind of thing okay. this is not even for i mean uh, this is not something that is negotiable hmm. so i mean it's a it's a kind of unique keep talking to the client and then say thank to get a understanding of what he wants what he requires and how he can reach that so hmm. i mean end of the day there there are i think i mean the biggest issue in personal finance is compromises kind of thing hmm. so i mean i mean unless you are having a very very huge uh, i mean big salary big savings not every wish and will of yours can be easily fulfilled so the idea is okay what what i can uh, what i need uh, can afford what i can't afford it's very i mean it's a more of a personal dialogue than a, okay what can be developed over a basic i mean it easy to develop on excel but that doesn't actually apply i mean it's it all looks nice i can give you a uh, solid powerpoint presentation Okay. But in life, is, life is not a PowerPoint presentation in that sense. Correct. But uh, and uh, in that note, like uh, for an active trader and an active investor, like let's say if someone like me, I'm coming into the market and I have some strategies that I want to deploy. Uh, what is like a good capital to start off with? You know, to in in trading. It depends upon your again. Depends upon what I mean. Look, if you are working, you okay. 
have an ability to earn X. So okay. the idea is at least I need to earn that X because mm-hmm. else it's I mean this is a full time job I'm taking in. What's that kind of thing? Okay. So for that, I mean, uh, and salary is guaranteed monthly on month on month you'll get that salary. So there's yeah. no broad on kind of thing. You have broad on, so your capital get decreased. So the question is, if you, I mean, my for my me for my you know, what I could I thought I could generate from market. I mean, by working, and what I were uh, required basically based upon my strategy, which may not be the best. I mean, I'm not saying I have the best strategy kind of thing. It is okay strategy. I felt that I required something around seventy-five to one crore, seventy-five okay. to one crore as my trading capital kind of thing. Okay. That is, if I am deploying that and I'm I can generate say even at twelve percent, fifteen percent, I know okay of that if I generate ten percent at seven point five lakhs, so I know okay I'm able to generate X amount from there kind of thing. Okay. But if I'm not even able to generate, I mean even on the lower end, if I can't generate a lower, I mean then it doesn't make sense. I mean you have to have a much higher capital because. Finally, if you are not, I mean, trading from living, mm. but what people assume is that you can keep on pulling out uh, capital for your living expenses. Mm. That actually is a, I mean, it actually decreases your capital without any, I mean, uh, I mean, it's like loss making trade. Every month you have a loss making trade kind of thing. Mm. So I mean, you need to fit in everything so that even if I want to touch those amount, which is not, which is not actually recommended, but even if I want to touch those amounts. What? How much long I can live without actually having to touch first, and then how much I need to? Because you can have a one year of zero income kind of thing. So, okay. but your I mean, life has to go on. Yeah, so right. Life has a certain amount of expenses you have figured out. So that expense have to be kept aside, other than whatever trading expenses you have. Hmm. So I mean, need to calculate on those basis in that sense. Okay. So uh, I have like a couple of questions that I wanted to ask. So uh, if you were to go back to you know like. Uh, when you started in this field what advice would you give to yourself uh, uh, like uh, i'll rephrase the question <laughs> for someone who is starting right now what advice would you give them like someone who is considering this as a full time full time career basically i mean get more accreditation kind of thing basically i came into market with a, with a jc degree kind of thing i mean uh, my bad luck was that i uh, Initial few years were spent with friends and uh, brokers who were all speculators, okay. and some of them actually had a short period of time and did great money kind of thing. So that gave me a thought process that was this is all easy, very easy to do. I can actually achieve much more than what I will I can do elsewhere kind of thing. A MBA would have, for example, given me a much more better background on how to evaluate business, how to how do things work out kind of thing. I mean, right now people are more exposed than what I was 25 years ago kind of thing. But I think. Having a, I mean, trying to do a CFA, for example, or a CMT, for example, that gives you a, it's a challenge. It's not like just because you do, you get a job, but it's a challenge. It, it requires you to learn things that you may not learn on your own kind of thing. Hmm. Secondly, the question is to, I mean, it, it's a, it's a time consuming. You, I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's, I mean, Tendulkar didn't come out of 18 years studying and he said, was, let me check, take the bat and say, uh, maybe I'll try to score some balance kind of thing. I mean, it's a long process kind of thing for anyone, regardless of whatever your uh, background is, whatever amount of effort you are putting. I mean, it will take. I mean, in my opinion, it will take. I mean, I've I've seen many few people have been. Uh, I've worked with in uh, say from 97, 97, 98 onwards to 2005. Maybe if you take seven years, eight years, so that's like an initial cycle. Still actively investing in trading. That to me says a lot. I mean. It is. These are some of them are very smart people, very good, great guys. 
but people many most people generally burn out i mean basically mm-hmm. it's not like a financial loss they just burn out unable to handle the pressure kind of thing of the day in day out uh, kind of thing so it, i mean i mean there's no one part that i can define and say was if you take this part i will be guaranteed a great leader or great investor it depends on your own abilities you know how do you i mean hurdles come in from everyone i mean every time there's a new hurdle kind of thing how do you cross that barrier what do you i mean for example march was a hurdle for most kind of thing so how do you how you did in march tells you a lot about you and how you will do in a future kind of thing correct if you had panicked in march and sold off everything it doesn't matter where the market will go you will always, it's a, it's a waiting just one, one more big fall kind of thing hmm. so in that sense i think uh, it takes a, at least a seven year i mean a business cycle of seven to 10 years before you can say okay boss i mean this is i'm ready i'm really no but hmm. if, if starting off better to start off with more, i mean more uh, qualitative education so that you actually at least have a foundation where okay. you can grow build i mean if you without a foundation i mean guys like me i came became without a foundation which means that i had to build my own foundation it, it takes a long time Correct. i mean by the time i raised things it took a long time then i mean i have friends who met i mean came in around my time but met a correct set of guys but that's luck i mean i don't know who you'll meet i mean yeah. when you are for joining coming into industry who you'll meet who will like to interact kind of thing they have a lot of influence on your life correct so that have that also means that you will try to adapt to their style of uh, investing or trading mm-hmm. then what may be what right for you kind of thing uh and uh, i was actually quite interested in uh, you know the kind of uh, articles and books that you share on twitter so uh, i wanted to understand like I, i want to know what are your three favorite books that uh, had a huge impact on you not i mean i don't think any book i can say okay has a huge impact i mean it's it's i mean i don't think it's always one book that will change your life kind of Correct. thing i mean at least for me it has not happened okay. it's kind of adding up kind of thing okay uh, for example jim shonessy's book on uh, systems i mean basically every trading system you tested p ratios you tested momentum that gives you a framework of how to work around i mean how do you build systems based upon certain fundamental logic and momentum logic kind of thing or you take the stocks for a long run jim segal so that tells you was in history historically they were regardless of countries equity has been the bigger deliverer of returns than any other asset classes i mean the point is that each gives you a small amount of understanding that makes you better way i mean it fills a gap kind of thing no book okay. i don't think there's a book that will say fills every gap in some this is the i mean bible there's a there's always a bible of security analysis or something correct. but that all still gives you a foundation i mean finally you are the guy who is building up kind of thing correct so my 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 top process is if you are interested in markets you should be a bit of interested in say history because what has happened before will happen in future kind of thing more or less yeah and if it's better if you are interested in a bit of statistics and even better if you are knowing coding kind of thing because you can test out ideas much faster than someone who doesn't have the ability to code so okay. all these things i mean so i mean i think it is uh, munger who says so uh, you have to be multi faceted kind of thing basically yeah, multi disciplinary I mean, multi disciplinary basically you like you need to have a it doesn't mean that there is a direct correlation between reading on mughal history and saying oh, what's happening now kind of thing it's just that you are building up your knowledge base over time kind of thing so i mean on a broader scale then just we are saying boss i read only on momentum and only in momentum i read only on uh, cross sectional momentum because mm-hmm. that's what i'm doing i mean what i'm doing is finally the thing that i believe in most but a foundation gives me a better perspective of things kind of thing on 
how do i approach how do i i mean it it's a broad i mean i don't know i mean i'm not maybe having the right words to it but i think it's very important for a young guy to have a broad i mean not get stuck into a very short maybe fno maybe options kind of thing okay that's the final output but get a broad understanding of markets how markets operate how companies operate so get a hang a handle on things because all these things help in terms of better understanding of the, i mean when when you are approached by i mean when you talk to someone the idea is to be able to talk to him on the level he is able to talk to you kind of thing in terms of a company i mean when you go to a company you are trying to research a company you need to have understanding of the company industry then on the global i mean what's the global impact of the changes in global will impact this industry kind of thing all this require you to have a bigger uh, tent then just a tent of saying that i know the, i mean i have read this annual report i know this company kind of thing that will uh, be a very, very small minute portion of what you what you are actually looking for okay so uh, outside of finance did you like anything that uh, you read recently uh i like history kind of thing so okay. i mean right uh, right now i'm reading more stream finance kind of thing okay uh, what is i mean most of my books are uh, i read boom country by alan uh, jaysa uh, who is that sorry alan rosen so my bookshelf is next to next okay okay <laughs> right next to me so i i mean i try to read whatever likes i mean i like at that moment of time generally but mostly it is about finance because finally i mean for example right now reading on concentrated investing about mm-hmm. uh, guys who have built concentrated i mean made big building on concentrated portfolios kind of thing because finally if i have a 100 stock portfolio 200 stock portfolio it may they will i mean the returns into they will always be support to if i can get the 10 stocks that are the best stocks kind of thing i mean whether it's possible or not is the second question okay. but i'm trying to get a hang on what people have done in the past kind of thing okay. so generally my much much of the reading i do is uh, finance related okay. or i mean uh, nowadays uh, more, more bit of in the okay i mean relation to defense kind of thing got it got it uh, th- okay prashant i think that's uh, that's uh, all the questions that i had and uh, uh, what is the best way to reach you like other than twitter twitter i mean i am uh, my dm is open so okay. i am happy to i mean uh, hps with anyone on twitter dm kind of thing sure else uh, it's uh, email is uh, i mean i am available on email but i prefer twitter itself it's a simpler okay. way to reach me kind of okay i will share i'll share the twitter link uh, on the blog like uh, i have a blog so i'll post the uh, podcast link on that uh, no issue sure. yeah sure uh, i think that's that's all the yeah. questions uh, prashant thank you for uh, spending some time for this and uh, i hope the you know recording comes out great i'll, I'll no share issue. the link once it comes out okay no problem sir